What is appropriate punishment, would you say, for, for example, running the economy badly? I mean, surely we have a punishment for that. Yeah, the, the punishment for that is you get replaced okay, <laughs> with someone who can run it well. Mark, hi. Good morning from a dark place where I haven't had electricity since 4 p.m. yesterday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, but yes, let's not yes, talk yes. about boring <laughs> recurrence. Stuff that we have long got used to. <laughs> because I'm assured from the sign of speech that the solution to electricity and load shedding is but a heartbeat away. Yes. Or should I say, an electron away. Yes. Yeah. It's close. It's close, Tim. It's coming. I promise you. It's coming. You. It's coming. I promise you, Tim. Oh, okay. yeah. I know. What I know. are your take on Sona? Tell me. I mean, I'm sort of a, a bit stung by it because a reader, a very kind of close, attentive reader, said that I, I was biased on account of the fact that... What's new? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a, the difference between bias and having an opinion is, you know, pretty close, let's face it. Yeah. We sort of had a long interaction and then we had a fight about whether or not journalists in general or people in general sort of look for the bad news and then sort of draw their conclusions from a negative premise. And the argument really was about the fact that South Africa's total employment level is now higher than it was before COVID. So there is this sort of debate about the unemployment rate, the proportion of people unemployed, and the number, the, the total number of people employed. And as it happens, it is, I think, a little known fact that there are actually more people employed than there were prior to COVID in South Africa. You have to base these things in common arithmetic to make comparisons. Okay, So, you know, whether there are more people or not, the percentage is still valid because the population has changed and the employable population has changed and so on. And so what is the growth rate in the employable population? And that might naturally have produced even more people at work whilst the percentage remains of unemployed gets also gets higher because the population has grown. The, the the subject matter of the analysis has grown. And so in order to make a valid statistical comparison, you have to adjust it or base it on what the pre-COVID unemployable base was and then look at it afterwards. So both could be right. There could be more people employed and the percentage of unemployed could be higher. No, they are. No, no question. And actually, Ramaphosa himself acknowledged that the unemployment rate was higher than it's ever been. So, you know, it's just reading between the lines, the thrust of the speech was basically, it seemed to me, that we had this terrible sort of 10-year period in which there was no growth, and then fortunately I came along and things changed, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, yeah. But actually, if you think about it, if you look at it more carefully, South Africa's growth rate has not significantly increased in the past five years from what it was the 10 years mm -hmm. before that. Mm -hmm. And the, and the reason is, you know, completely obvious, at least one of the major reasons, is load shedding. So the total number of people might have increased. But if you compare it to countries around the world, they've had, you know, most countries, especially fast, you know, high population growth rate countries, have increased the mm -hmm. total number of employed people by about somewhere between 5 and 7%. And we've in increased it by 1%. Yeah. I'm still on the skeptical side of the fence here. There are two roots to this discussion that need to be discussed. The first one is, it's no wonder there's an age-old saying which says, lies, lies, and more statistics, okay? Because yeah. uh, people, you know, pre-select, uh, I mean, so you can't compare, you know, the, the talent of a guy rowing a canoe 
when he's got a massive current for him to the, the time that it took another canoeist swimming, you know, rowing against the current. So you have to know the current to work out the relative skill of the rower. Okay, and so without an underlying comparative base, uh, the thing doesn't make sense, first point. And the second point is that bad news sells, you know. I mean, unfortunately, and I mean, there is a bias towards bad news. And in fact, I'd go further. It's not just in journalists. There's generally a bias towards discourse around difficulty. In my experience, okay? if you sit down and ask someone how they are, they don't tell you how well they are. Okay, I mean, they say I'm well, and that's like one sentence. And then you go, but how are you really? Well, the kids this, and you know, and I didn't do the budget that, and I, and the load shedding this, and I mean, so people wallow in their difficulties. And in fact, it's not entirely a bad thing because the purpose of your life is summed up by the number of difficulties you've overcome. And if you've had none, you won't get very far. So we are natural as human beings to complain about our difficulty because we're proud of having got through it or just because we like whinging. And you journos are the worst of the lot. Okay, that's, <laughs> where, that's where I come. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, Tim, but we should not expect anything different. Statistics get manipulated or selectively chosen and truths get ignored and people like talking about how hard it is, man. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. And it's definitely applies to everyone, you know, other than me. You know, I am, I am different. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That very rare species, the balanced, discerning individual. Exactly. I'm surprised you got a job is... in journalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to one of the topics that you wanted to talk about, which is a sort of natural segue. If things go bad, obviously somebody is at fault and they have to be punished. What is appropriate punishment, would you say? For example, running the economy badly. I mean, surely we have a punishment for that. Yeah, the, the punishment for that is you get replaced okay, <laughs> with someone who can run it well. Unless, and there's this huge divergence of impact in South Africa. Okay, so we might sit here whinging like hell about load shedding, but you know, a vast proportion of the voting population don't have a load shedding debate because they've never had an electricity debate. Okay, so, you know, we have to, you know, again, base our reference points. When you talk about the voting population, what are their issues? Right. And, you know, load shedding is an issue because it's pervasive in the performance of business and the delivery of services and all of these kinds of things. But a direct personal, have you got the lights on in your house level? There's a huge proportion of our population which don't have that, you know, so-called income, middle cost plus problem, okay? And so uh, that's the first thing. But I was intrigued. Well, you know, I, there isn't always a debate what's an appropriate punishment, you know, and what's and, and is it effective? Because I think the debate about punishment is, does it actually reduce the crime or is it something that puts you off wanting to go there? Is it, you know, does it stop it? Yeah, is it a deterrent? You know, I was reading that in Qatar, they've just released 18 Indian prisoners who were sentenced to death for spying, you know, on Israel, I think it was. And so the death sentence is a huge debate. My sort of bottom line view on the death sentence is I'm against it because one mistake is one too many, you know, and it's an irreversible mistake. But there's no doubt it'd be something of a deterrent. But moving on to something less than death, arguably, I see that in Madagascar, they've just passed a law or in the process of the higher house of it now passing the law, which, uh, which says that they are now allowing castration of child rapists, okay, which has drawn a lot of criticism from human rights issues and so on. 
And the younger the child, the greater the punishment. And, and, and so, you know, I mean, I'm, I go one further than that if you want me to get a bit uh, in trouble here. I think castration is too light a sentence for a child rapist. I think penectopy is where we should go. Okay. But how deep does this go? How, oh. you know, how vicious do we become? <laughs> if we... Sorry, uh, Mark, I'm already crossing my legs. Uh, uh, um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah but, okay, but, As you should in that sense. Yeah, but here's the thing. Will it stop rape of children? And is that a good result? Okay. Uh, and, and, and all of these punishments can go too far, particularly if those who, just, who preside over the exercise of punishment are not decent human beings themselves. And all those, you know, when I went to school, I used to get caned for doing things wrong. I used to get six of the best on a, any, any, every other week. And it, it worked, but it was clearly sort of inhumane, if not a little bit barbaric. And it clearly sometimes ended up in the wrong hands, but it kind of worked for me because, you know, three minutes later it was over. Then I heard about someone got the death sentence for owning a gram of heroin in Singapore, I think it was. Where do we come down on punishment versus incentive? Well, you know, I mean, South Africa sort of gave up the death penalty quite a long time ago, really because it was a political tool. You know, it was something of a political tool. Yeah. And it was a very cruel one, not only for the people, obviously, yeah. but also for the judicial system, because there was a, a legal assumption built in yeah. that if you could find no extenuating circumstances, then you were obliged to apply the death penalty. Yeah. I think judges generally don't like applying the, the death penalty. And, and so it was a, with a big kind of sigh of relief that South Africa stopped. And I'm certainly against it. I think it's a terrible idea yeah. for precisely the reasons you said. Yeah. But, you know, Botswana still got the death penalty and they still occasionally apply it. Yeah. And I do feel in South Africa, generally, the South African system is quite lax. I do feel people just don't get their comeuppance. Yeah, they don't. And people don't feel other people should get a comeuppance. You know, I think it's a sort of hangover from the kind of social excuses, you know. For, yeah, the system's unjust, so why should we abide by it? It was the history. Yeah, that yes, was the yeah, history, the yeah. system, you know. And, you know, in a lot of countries, the system is unjust. Yeah. And if it is, then you end up with, you know, you know, there's, a, there's an enormous number of Russian journalists in jail. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of countries in the world, you don't want an overly zealous uh, yeah. criminal system. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah, zealous application of harsh laws because it's applied you know, not only for the application of justice, but also for political reasons, religious reasons, and, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. it's just transparently unjust. So we're against it. But I do wish that South Africa would put some people who, you know, were trying to steal money in jail. Yeah, this debate is, again, about my pace and I think the only real answer is to have an independent judiciary that is highly selective in the persons that it appoints to positions of judgment, and then leave it in the hands of these discerning human beings who must be reasonable and all of those good things. Because I don't think, you know, it can find any other solution. I mean, so, but it's always been an interesting thing. Does the punishment fit the crime? Does the punishment defer the crime or deter the crime? And I've always wondered whether there isn't an alternative incentive to just punishment. For example, I mean, we have corruption, which is clearly a crime and it's clearly abhorrent. But it appears, go back to that thing about the system, it appears in a world where there are no job opportunities, okay? So when is it not a crime? When you're stealing to feed your family, is that still a crime? You know, it's a difficult subject. And thank goodness we still have, for now, an independent judiciary. 
So I can't say any more. But did you see we won the bronze medal at AFCON? Yes, no, no. AFCON's kind of elevated its status in the world, right, Tim? Right? I know. I don't know whether it's because we just did a little bit better this year, but I do think that AFCON really got some traction right across the continent. I mean, it does help that, you know, Nigeria and South Africa, you know, two of the biggest, you know, economies on the continent stayed in until right at the end, I think. You know, I, I like the fact that, you know, a small country won. It was great. And it also made a difference, by the way, that there were more countries who participated this time, which I think it turned out to be a good thing. It is a, a competition. You know, the, the number of African players that are playing for big teams all over the world, you know, is just going up and up. So there's a lot of recognizable players around. It was great. No, it was uh, really good fun. We must have an episode dedicated to Africa. I think the African Renaissance in many different ways is upon us. You know, we find ourselves in the middle of the world and the world is in a quite a big mess, a glacial kind of mess. And we could focus on our little Africa and the risk return equation could start making a lot of sense. You know, I can't help thinking that coaches make a difference. Okay. Because, and here, take the fun of the fun. We hired a good recognized sort of coach. Take Rossi as far as the Springboks are concerned. It does make a difference who's in charge. It does make a difference who's the management. I think about Cricket SA and the woes that they've had to deal with. All of these things, the all-field infrastructure, money aside, I think can make an extraordinary difference. And likewise, in our country, the, the management team can be the difference between you know, an extraordinary wealth creation out of natural resources and their destruction as an alternative. I sort of woke up early this morning and I was following the Super Bowl and the Kansas Chiefs won over the 49ers. It was really exciting. We were absolutely down to the wire. And you can see the same sort of effect in the Super Bowl over which, you know, they keep extraordinarily extensive statistics. Mm. <laughs> you know, the, what really matters is having a great quarterback and having a great coach. But Taylor Swift's boyfriend was in the winning team. So obviously there's a lot of people on Twitter who say this was scripted. It was very funny. There's been a, a whole host of very funny tweets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> including one one from the president, the U.S. president himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, since we're naming teams, I've been a long-suffering supporter of Manchester United. Okay. Soccer. And the only reason I support them is because Gary Bailey was once their goalie and he was at residence at university with me. That's my only you know, attachment to the sport. Okay. And I can tell you now for all of you other long-suffering Manchester United fans that we've won six out of the six of our last outings. So watch out. Here we come. <laughs> Go to the Reds or whatever they call it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the season event of the British soccer th season, I think, is Jurgen Klopp leaving Liverpool was just as, you know, once again, a fantastic manager, supporters, the players, you know, pulling their hair out because he's just been such a wonderful, coalescing and effective leader. Anyway, so my number this week is about the Super Bowl. So, Mark, here, yeah, I'm going to ask a question again. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Embarrass me. Go on. Go ahead. <laughs> How many people around the world watched the Super Bowl last year? We haven't got the number, the total number for this year. 42 million. Okay, uh, you know, 115 million. Wow. Yeah, and what did a Super Bowl advert cost last year? 42 million. <laughs> You're stuck on this. <laughs> $7 million. And that, by the way, has gone up 
from in 1980, you would have paid, you know, like less than $100,000 for an advert in the Super Bowl. So the, the cost of ad, ad, a Super Bowl advert has just extrapolated. But the Super Bowl viewership has gone up by a, a respectable amount. Again, you're looking at the wrong statistic. What is the per capita cost? What is the per audience, unit of audience cost? That's the number to focus on. What does it cost to get to an individual? Okay. And so there's an absolute direct correlation between those two. I want to go back to the guy who left Liverpool, the coach, Jurgen Klopp. It brings into focus for me how, you know, how long is good tenure? And this is brought into focus now by the fact that, of course, Salad Lamini Zuma has stepped away from politics. Naledi Pondal has just announced her intention to step out of politics after this election. And I think, forgetting about the two individuals I've mentioned, I think there should be a time limit for politicians and they should never get tenure. And maybe you should never get tenure at the university or any other place, including CEOs of private sector companies. And so, you know, I know some firms where once you've been the CEO for X long, you have to go and you can never come back. And I think that's a good thing. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, a whole bunch of countries around the world, of course, have got tenures for presidents, but there doesn't seem to be any tenure for politicians. Yeah. Except in America, you know, there's different periods for members of the House and for, but there isn't for senators. Right. There's no question in my mind, if you're in a situation like South Africa, where you have a very dominant ruling party, then you do end up in the situation where there's no rotation. You know, there's just no rotation. And Kosozana Duma and Naledi Pandor, you know, they're standing down, but they're also very old, you know. Yeah. And they've been there an awful long time. You just do want a, a sort of natural refresh, you know, and you don't get that in countries where you have a predominant political party. And you're not going to get it unless there's a rule, okay? Because once, you know, get into yeah. power, stay yeah. in power. Unless you make a rule which says, yeah. you've done your time, my friend, and that would have all sorts of consequences of people's planning time horizons and achievement time horizons and all of these kinds of things. I would like to see more of it. It's becoming increasingly common in business that you can't be the boss forever. And so I think that's probably a good thing politically and otherwise. And also journalists. <laughs> I think journalists should retire at some point and stop Are you talking doing about your journalism? package? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, is, this, is this a discussion? Yeah. They're listening to us because I see my lights have just gone on. They must have heard us complain. <laughs> well, have a good week, nice. everybody. See you next time. All righty, Mark. Cheers. Cheers, cheers. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.